coming up on this episode. It all is, where do you measure that success? Do you measure how much money you take home as your success? Or measure how much fun you're having in your business? Or do you know, it, it's, all, it's all in perspective. And so it is, it is a kind of a fun position to be in. I'm grateful um, and, and there should never be a situation where I'm um, off-putting because you think I have some sort of status, you know? You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. My name is Chris Kiefer, and I am here with Tyler Giel, the co-founder of Insomnia Coffee. Thanks for joining us, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Tyler is uh, a or- Oregon native, correct? Are you from Oregon originally? Actually, surprisingly, I'm from the East Coast. East Coast, yeah, I'm and uh, but you're you've been in Oregon that they've kind of indoctrinated you into an Oregonian, correct? Yes, yes. How long yeah. have you been here? I've been here now for 13 years, so I'm I'm acclimating to the climate because <laughs> it's very different than finally. See, <laughs> right, right, yeah, a little bit wetter. Um, and I, what you said, DC initially? Correct. Yeah, I was born in Florida and military family, so we bounced around a lot. Um, but majority on the East Coast, and I'm the black sheep that made it out to the West Coast. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so, you 13 years ago, you came to Oregon. What? How did you land in Hillsboro? Um, it's kind of it's funny. I I had been traveling with a musical theater group for several years. I'm um, even directing it, and we traveled all around the states. And uh, through that, I've been to. Um, 48 states. And then I went to Hawaii for, for my, um, honeymoon. And so I just have to hit Alaska and then I'll have all 50 states down. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So Alaska is the only one you haven't been that's to the last one. Yeah. But in, in the, um, musical theater troupe, we would go around to all the different states. So I, I got to really see the country and I, whenever we came through Portland, I just loved it here. Um, mind you, when, whenever we came through, it was really good weather. It was summer. <laughs> in late May, so it was gorgeous. <laughs> right, right. And everyone said, oh, the rain, rain. And I was like, rain, rain, this is beautiful. Everything's so green. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I came out here for my best friend's wedding um, back in 2005. And, and um, that's my best friend is my business partner as well. But I was in his wedding. Um, and then I just never left. I just... Everything I owned was in my suitcase anyway, so I just stayed and started a new life out here. Oh wow! And you're so you're you were married at the time. You guys moved over here. You were also actually I I wasn't married yet. I was only twenty five, and um, my wife now is one of the first people I met here in Portland. And we were oh, friends okay for years, and um, she she kind of saw us through all of our business planning and dreaming. Um, and we actually got married three months after the coffee shop opened, our very first shop opened. So that year was kind of a nuts, <laughs> crazy year for us. Wow. So I'm, I want to get into that. But what I'm curious about is you. So if you like the specific timeline of you came over for the wedding, ended up staying here. How long from after um, Evan is his name, correct? Yes. How long from Evan's wedding till when you guys decided to open up a coffee shop? Well, um, that wasn't the plan when I first moved here. I just thought I was going to get a job, um, a, a career. 
um, out here. And so I, I interviewed for a bunch of different um, positions that I really was interested in. And, and a lot of those went to second and third interviews and to the point right before they had me hired. I mean, even like introducing me to my new coworkers and everything, but something fell through. And every single time it was something that had nothing to do with me. So either like the um, person whose position I'd be filling, they they were leaving to go get married. They called the wedding off and then they came back and they wanted their position back. Or um, at the last minute when they were doing budgeting, they realized this position wasn't available and different things like that. So I oh, a frustrated wow. point in time because here I was 25 and I thought time for a career, but nothing was panning out. And that's when um, my business partner and I realized where we both come from entrepreneur backgrounds. My dad has owned small businesses and his dad had too. So business kind of made sense to us. It, it, it was a risk um, that we, we knew that we would want to take one day. And so we started thinking, but I was thinking like when I'm 40, I, I would go open a business or something. Uh, <laughs> that, that timeline just to check the box a lot quicker. And we sat around their table and just were dreaming. We were like, if there's anything we want to do, like what, what could we do if, if there wasn't anything standing in the way? And Evan's wife, Amy, um, had worked in coffee for years and years. So she'd been doing about 10 years worth of coffee industry work, both in mom and pop and in corporate um, settings. And so we all put our heads together and we said, we should open a coffee shop. We have the experience through Amy. I went to business school, so I have kind of the, the um, books background. And Evan is charming and culture driving and can fix anything. So we said, sure, let's do it. And so from that moment, so that was, I was here in the summer of 2005. October 1st of 2005 was when we had that, that um, first initial conversation. And I remember going to bed that night thinking that conversation really meant something. It, it had it had something, a, a big vision to it. And so I wrote it in my calendar. So that's why I remember October 1st of 2005. But the planning mm. and all, the, all that structure started going into place. So it took us about a year and a half. So April of 2007 is when we finally opened our first location. Wow. Okay. So you guys did, that's, you did a significant amount of research uh, in that time, I'm assuming. Exactly. And looking yes. for locations and whatnot. Yep. And just learning, learning so much and even finding locations. Here we were, I was 26 now in 2006 and um, my business partner is 25 and his wife, same age. And um, we would go into leasing agents and we had our business plan because I had just finished that in school years earlier, um, how to write a business plan. So we, we even had like our our hard copy that we'd go into leasing agents and say, we know what we want and we want to be in your space. But we had so many leasing agents just laugh, laugh us out the door because we were young and this was our first business. And mm. and several times to the point where we were really getting discouraged and um, then um, kind of some doors opened for us because we, we spotted another location that we were interested in. And we went and spoke to the, the leasing agent and he said that he saw something in us, um, even though we didn't have the experience. He said, I'm going to I'm going to take a chance on you. And I want you to look at this other location um, for all these different reasons why the first location that we thought it just wouldn't really work. Hindsight's 2020. And he was 100 percent correct. <laughs> but we did mm. at the time. But um, so we went 
we drove by the location where he thought we should go into and we peeked in the windows and we were just, we we're struck. Um, and that turned into our first location. Wow. So we're for that first leasing agent, not laughing us out the door. Um, and saying, I think you guys can do this. That's amazing. Um, what that's back to when you were, uh, trying, you were pursuing careers. That was one thing I was curious. Do you feel like anybody, um, you, you said you both came from entrepreneurial backgrounds, but do you feel like anybody um, has the ability or the capacity to do what you guys did? Um, or do you feel like it was kind of the, I don't know, the right exposure as you were growing up and seeing your parents being involved in businesses like that? Yeah, totally. I think that there's, there's an unusual combination for someone to be an entrepreneur. Um, there is this element of risk and in a way not knowing better to be afraid, if that makes sense. Um, we saw our, our dads um, be entrepreneurs and we saw the risk that they took and we saw it pay off for them. So to us, we saw kind of the, the positive version of risk. But I know a lot of people see that like if, if our fathers were, say, entrepreneurs that um, were with failing businesses, I think that the fear of risk could set in even more. Or um, mm. whereas a certain kind of personality that likes uh, um, structure or, or um, uh, something anchoring us down, I think it would be harder to step out and do something really risky, like uh, owning your own business. But I think that if someone has something that they're passionate about and um, if they're willing to put in the hard work and if they have kind of make it work kind of personality, um, they can do this. Mm. It's not that we're like these super, super smart people. We just work really hard. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and that's the thing. The, it's interesting that you said you saw the positive version of risk from your parents. Do you remember seeing the like the micro failures that happen for every entrepreneur in your parents or in your dad in particular? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we, we heard a lot of the ups and downs um, of business, and it just it kind of just made sense to me. I felt like that was kind of life as opposed to um, someone who works for a large company and, and they don't ever worry about um, kind of the security aspect of it. It just comes naturally. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the, you mentioned, I just had a conversation with someone about working for a large company for the security. Yeah. I don't know if you feel like this now, but I've always thought being my own, just being a business owner, um, that I am in the most secure job that I could have because I feel like larger companies have this appearance of security, but then all of a sudden, you know, layoffs could come or you know, the industry shifts and they, the, it just, you don't, you're not confronted with the stress or the obstacles that the higher ups in the company are facing. And sometimes you get blindsided by them. Um, and I don't know, I, I, you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. maybe for entrepreneurs, that's, that's why I'm saying that and other people would disagree. But I just think that um, entrepreneur, the entrepreneur world of just finding problems, solving them and trying to figure out a value or price tag to associate with that solution and then selling it to people, um, when you figure out that, then you really become more secure because your business might 
shrink or go away or whatever, but you still have developed those skills to identify and create new solutions for other things. A hundred percent. It's it's a shift of perspective because I do think that a lot of people look at a corporate job, like say working at Intel, and they go, oh, there's so much security in it. But you're right, a hundred percent, because we as entrepreneurs, we can pivot. We can say, that's not working. I'm going to try this. Um, but when you get laid off from a job that that's all you know, that's a lot harder to to pivot um, and kind of build mm-hmm. your own life. So right, right, I agree. And so you uh, you got a you said you got an MBA or a business degree. Was it a bachelor's or a master's in business? Yeah, just a bachelor's. Yeah, in business with an emphasis in marketing. Okay. And um, did you have so you were twenty six or twenty seven when you started? What other jobs besides the theater did you do? I just random jobs, really. Um, my first job was in a bookstore and I absolutely loved it because um, at the time I was I was I think I was 16 um, and I enjoyed the element of retail and customer service um, and connecting with people and helping them. Um, and then I did other other jobs like I was a a um, an online intern for the American Psychological Association, which sounds very heady <laughs> and very intelligent, but really all I was doing is clicking a lot of links and making sure things weren't broken online. <laughs> uh. And I even, this is kind of embarrassing, but one of my jobs too was working at a tanning salon when I didn't even know how to tan. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've had kind of the smorgasbord of random jobs. and But nothing career, you, I guess in a weird way, that was those random jobs, it sounds like were prepping you for uh, a lot of what you're doing now, right? Or at least being able to relate to and understand your employees and kind of how to position things. You probably had a number of bosses that you were able to, make a pros and cons list of. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. And it is interesting. Aren't we the sum of all of our, our experiences? And I, I find that even as an employer, I do think back about the people who are in leadership over me and, and seeing the things that I felt like they did so strong and how I want to replicate those, those things and the areas that I felt like they were weak and, and things that I want to avoid as well. So I think that they really had an imprint on my the way I lead now. Right, right. What has surprised you most in your time as uh, as a business owner? Oh boy, I think the thing that surprised me the most, going back, thinking back when um, in two thousand seven, right before we opened, of uh, my big dream of opening one coffee shop, like that was our huge dream. I didn't realize how much work it was. Um, I thought I knew, you know, it's, it's almost like having a baby. And I mean, you know, you have a child. Um, many people who are, are single don't know exactly what that feels like, but um, you, you have this picture in your mind of exactly what it's going to be like. And you're like, yeah, I'm sure I'll be tired, but it'll be great. And you are tired and it is great, but it's <laughs> like beyond anything that I expected, just how much work was with it and how much mm. you think about it and how, how much for us, it was physical, um, uh, hard labor as well, because when we opened our first shop back in 2007, we didn't have any employees. It was just the three of us. It was the three founding members of Insomnia Coffee. So it was myself, my business partner, Evan, and his wife, Amy. And she was, she was a founding member for about four years with us. Um, and then their family grew to the point where she wanted to stay home, um, and take care of the kids. And so then it, 
um, we bought her out of the partnership and then it just became the two partners. But yeah, tons and tons of work. Oh, I and I, I wonder too, looking back, if I had known how much work it was going to be, if I would have actually pulled the trigger and done it. <laughs> yeah. I'm very grateful that I did. I'm so grateful. Well, naivety is a, is a huge strength sometimes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We, we don't know what we don't know. And maybe that's a good thing. Do you think that uh, between you and Evan, um, I feel like I always, you hear the different perspectives from people that either had partnerships go really well or really bad. But in general, what advice do you have for people that are looking to go into um, a partnership with someone else when starting a business? Yeah, we it's something that we talk about a lot. Um, my business partner being my best friend um, is an extremely unusual case. And we recognize that. Um, and we're so grateful for it, I think. Um, we joke that it's a marriage. And you work at, at your marriage, your business marriage, just like you work at your marriage at home. Um, and our personalities are very similar in some areas and extremely opposite in other areas. And I think that creates such a neat strength um, that is unusual in business relationships. Um, so the, the way I kind of draw a picture of the way we work together is Evan is a, a helium balloon. So he's exciting and he is always floating and has these huge vision. And I am the string. I'm the thing that tethers him and keeps him in, grounded um, and, and mm. kind of seeing the big picture. And given uh, individually, like if, if he was a, a helium balloon without a string, he'd float off and, and it wouldn't be helpful at all. He'd just be on to the next thing. And me being a string without a helium balloon, I would just be limp and boring. <laughs> But put right, us together right. and we can make a fun toy, you know, something that that has has the balance of of um, enjoyment and excitement, but also being grounded that mm -hmm. I feel like it's it's the element of opposites attract, but not 100 percent opposite, because if we if we didn't have things that we could connect on the same level on, um, I think it would be a lopsided relationship. So. There are moments where we have to right. put our books down and our, our, our schedules down and our computers. And we say, we need to have some best friend time and just hang out and not talk about business, just talk about our lives. And that reinvigorates um, our connection so that when we go into meetings where we we're on opposite sides of the table and we're saying how I don't even understand where you're coming from when you say that we can at the end of those meetings come to a resolution and hug it out, you know, um, and when we leave right, those right. meetings, we're still on the same page. Um, and I'm so grateful. I know that a lot of business relationships are strained and are, are difficult, but um, we've been through, and we've been through moments like that for sure. Um, moments where we thought maybe our friendship couldn't handle being business relationship as well. It's, it's um, mm. kind of not giving up in those moments. Um, and over the course of almost 12 years now in business together, um, we're at just a sweet spot in our friendship and in our relationship to where we can say the, the hard things that need to be said without it cutting to our heart. We don't mean it um, personally or um, uh, uh, offensively. We, we're, we can just be completely 100% honest with each other and understand where the other person's coming from. So right. I feel so, so, so grateful for that. 
One thing that I'm I'm trying the the best because I don't have a business partner other than you could say Natalie, my wife. Yeah. But one thing that I'm curious on, and this maybe is like I I do think that your analogy of a marriage is probably like strangely very very accurate. But what when you have disagreements, I'm trying and I'm thinking about situations with Natalie and I where we disagree on um, whatever the decision is, but we have to make one like one decision or the other to move forward. How do you guys like? I think I think in my mind the right move is to have both people fully in line, but then there's always the possibility that the other person who didn't get their 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 way or their answer picked uh is like the whole time kind of like i'm just waiting for this to fail so i can say you know i told you so <laughs> which i'm sure happens to some level right and you want to have that i feel like if i'm being yeah. honest that it's okay to have that to some degree but you also need to like the i feel like if i'm honest with myself i probably am not the best at completely giving in to the other person's solution or, or, and like giving my full, full hundred percent effort. And then, um, having it be like, if that's successful being like, yeah, you know what? I was wrong. I'm glad we went that Definitely. way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It comes down to humility, a hundred percent, just like what you said and compromise really. Um, I think what, what ends up happening, Evan always jokes that I'm Mr. Right. I always have to be right. <laughs> and <laughs> I swear, I don't say I told you so, you know, but um, my, I feel like my role in our business is when he comes up with an idea, a lot of times he'll just come up with them off the cuff. That's what his strength is. I'm just um, invigorating and vision and excitement. And so he'll come up with 12 ideas in any given moment. And I'll say, okay, 10 of those, there's no possible way those will happen. So I just kind of thumbs up and I go, okay, great idea. Um, but then two of them have some like a gold nugget in it. So I then take those and I think and I mull on them and I, I really process um, and try to shoot holes in it. And if it can kind of go through my system of, of um, analysis and come out on the other end, then I think we have something that we can work with and we move forward with it. And so mm. I, I think in those moments too, where we get frustrated with each other or, or um, we have to come to some, some sort of um, middle ground, in those moments of frustration, I remind myself all the strengths that Evan brings to the business because um, I couldn't do this without him. And we both have the ultimate goal of having a successful business. So we both need to have that humility to say, we'll do whatever it takes, even if it's not my idea we'll do whatever it takes to, to be stronger. Um, and I think that's just how it's, how it's worked out really well. And, and he, he's so patient with me when I get kind of strong, strong willed about a certain idea that I really feel like this is the one thing that will work. Um, and he's, mm. he's usually very patient with me and I'm pretty patient with him too. So it just kind of works out really well. The other thing that's always interesting to me is the, uh, in the in the beginning of a business, there's a period of time where you kind of are like you feel like the you're impersonating a, a real business. <laughs> it's 100%, like you're yes. like, oh no, like maybe they're gonna find out that we don't actually know how to make a latte or something, or like we totally like just watched a YouTube video and made, and did this, you know, and pretended like whatever that those situations. And I'm curious if you have any funny stories from the early days. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think um, it is kind of funny. We, there's so much fake it till you make it, right? In in entrepreneurship, um, our personalities are so forthright about things. Um, we're very uh, very open and transparent, and to to a fault probably because it probably doesn't resonate with some people if we we share our faults too too forthright. <laughs> but mm-hmm. when with a community type coffee shop it actually really serviced us well um, to, to be blunt and to be um, just super honest with our customer base. So a lot of times we would tell them, um, for, for an example, uh, Evan and Amy had their first child just a few months before our first coffee shop opened. So not only did we have a new business, and I got married three months after the coffee shop opened, but in that same year, they had a baby. So we had this infant around the coffee shops. And because we didn't have any employees, whenever the two of them were there, the baby was there too. <laughs> like Johnny jump up in the doorway of, to the back room and we had, um, they would strap, Eamon is their son. They would strap him on their back while they're even working on bar. And so it was very much like it's, some people would come in and go, oh, what, what kind of business is this? It's not so professional because there's a baby here. But other people came in and just were, were charmed by it because we're just saying, hey, we're local people and this is a local business and this is our living room. Welcome. Come on in and live life with us. Mm. And at, Yeah, you're not Starbucks the, at that point. And to, right, probably exactly. to an enormous advantage. Yeah, it, it just worked really well in our, our favor. And Partly we did it because we didn't have any other choice, really. That I mean, that wasn't in the plans when we first started um, planning our coffee shop. But um, you just kind of take those things and you run with them, you know, and you you fit them in with with who you are as a, a company and a corporate vision. Um, mm. I I think our first crew of people now have seen Eamon grow up. He, he's he's twelve years old now, and so they they feel even that much more of a connection to our business because there was a child. Uh, in in the midst of it in the very beginning too, you know? So That's awesome, yeah. We had a cot in the back and we slept there all the time. We, we would take turns taking naps because we were working 100-hour weeks and we were on our feet right. serving customers and we were constantly on. Um, and we loved it. There were such great memories of that first year, but then they're also just, I was so exhausted. I mean, my wife has stories of weird things that I would say when we would hang out after I would close the shop um, and while we were still planning our wedding, I would say these strange things. It's just because I was so exhausted. <laughs> what? And that's another thing. The fact that you're running a coffee shop, it has really like long hours. I mean, some places close at like, you know, two o'clock. But most coffee shops nowadays, they're open at, you know, five or six a.m. And then they close at nine or something. Yeah. What were, what were your hours when you guys first opened? Our hours when we first opened... We're 6 a.m. every day, um, and then we would close at 6 p.m. during the week, and then Friday and Saturdays, we were open till midnight. So Friday and Saturdays were 18-hour days. Um, wow. there, I mean, 12-hour days every other day, and then there were 18-hour days, and we were there from open to close because we, we did it all. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's just kind of it's bizarre to look back. Now, I'm, I'm very grateful for that to be, be the beginning of our business because – there's not one thing that I would ask an employee now to do that I haven't done myself. Um, we knew our business right, inside right. out. I plunged the toilets. I scrubbed the walls. I, I painted the the walls and I I installed the flooring. And you know, like I I dealt with a 
um, broken steam wand. I, I dealt with everything. Um, so when, when we run into things now, I, my employees can trust me because they know, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just making something up. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, do you remember, and this is the other thing that I think is fascinating about businesses in the beginning, there's a, the mental shift, um, that happens and maybe I don't, I kind of feel like it doesn't happen like overnight. It's over like a period of time. But do you remember like the first time that you guys were like, I think we actually like are going to, we're going to make it like, this is going to be a thing. And it's not like the, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Not that the work stops, but you leave the place of like radical volatility and stress and kind of reach a place of like, um, into a rhythm, you know, things are okay. Maybe you got to sleep in one day or what, what was the, the things that happened that were like, you know what, I think that we have a business that is going to be here for a while. Yeah. Um, I think for us, it, it took us a pretty long time to feel that way because we are very conservative, um, in, in our spending. So we're very just creative people. So we, we always are in these make it work situations. So we opened the coffee shop on a shoestring, shoestring budget. Um, and the only reason I was able to afford it, um, making so little money each month was because my wife was able to work outside the home. And she, she, um, she worked for, uh, she was the creative director for a, a different organization. Um, and so that helped me be able to do this. And Evan and Amy were just living, we're, I mean, it was like rice and beans for, for a long time. And then once, mm. once our first location started really getting on its feet, um, the door of opportunity opened for us to open a second location. So we started investing all of the money that we had saved in the business into a new location. And we, we just kept doing that to the point where now we have four insomnia coffee shops. And then we also have a roastery where we roast our own beans. So we're, we're still... Um, even almost 12 years into it, we're still reinvesting most of the funds into the business and we're taking home pay now. Now we're comfortable. We're at the point where we, we don't have to um, be nervous about where our next meal is going to come from. <laughs> but there, it had to go right, for right. the first couple of years um, just we, because we wanted to, to build a good foundation for the business um, so that it wouldn't be... Uh, uh, easily toppled over. We wanted good roots to the tree, if that makes sense. So when a strong wind comes, it would still stand. And I think that's what we have accomplished. So now we're just getting to the point, again, we're almost 12 years in, we're just getting to the point where we're going to start to see growth and um, uh, uh, some of the fruit from this tree that we've been um, pouring fertilizer on for years. Mm. Right. And you guys now, um, family wise, how big are each of your families? Yes. Evan and Amy have five children. <laughs> they have one boy and four girls. So they have their hands full for sure. Um, and my wife and I have three children. Um, my kids are seven years old, six years old, and two years old. And it's girl, boy, girl. And so between our two families, we have eight kids. And so we feel like that's, that's a pretty, pretty big brood. Wow. That's awesome though. I, I love, I come from a family of five. I'm the middle of five and, um, Natalie and I want to have a, a big family. We have obviously only one so far and, um, who knows how big it will end up, but, um, that's, I love hearing the, uh, the 
what is it, the, the struggle, but it's a good struggle of being um, parents and fathers and mothers while being very um, passionate about business or, you know, just bettering yourself or, or the community or something, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the, there's a piece, I feel like you hear all the time and at least in my world, the people that I listen to, there's this idea of, you know, the, the old wisdom of like, follow your passion. I've heard a number of people say that that's kind of bad advice. That's putting a lot of like pressure on, um, the millennials that are like too, there's too much emphasis on like, just, you know, do what you're passionate about and everything will work out. And, and I think if you know what your passion is, that is good advice, but there's so many people that don't know what their passion is. And then they sit there and spin their wheels and stress about how I can't, you know, figure out what I'm supposed to do. Cause I don't know what I'm passionate about. Um, and I'm, what I'm curious about and where this is coming from is I'm, I'm wondering if, are you passionate about coffee now or, um, or is there something else that you truly are passionate about? And did that passion develop or change over time um, as opposed to when you first opened? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. That's a good question. Um, it is kind of funny. I, I am very passionate about coffee. Um, I, I kind of grew up. Um, my, my godmother is from Colombia, or, and she, she would give us Colombian coffee when I was growing up. And which was for little kids, it was just a couple drips of coffee in, in um, cinnamon milk, you know? <laughs> so I right, right. think that I drank coffee when I was a small child, but, um, but no, it, so I, I always enjoyed um, coffee growing up and with my dad in the military, he used to drink just black coffee and my mom always drank um, hers with cream. And mind you, this was Folgers instinct coffee. So it's like the worst that you can drink really. <laughs> and so I thought being a man, you have to drink black coffee, you know? So I tried in college to just drink it black. And I was just really struggling with that because <laughs> it was, I was drinking horrible coffee. No wonder I couldn't swallow it. Right. But, and then I, then of course, just like everyone else, I discovered Starbucks and it just changed my world about coffee, what, what coffee can be. Um, but I've always been even more passionate uh, while I, I, I have a very, um, strong love for coffee. I think what tops coffee really is the community aspect of what a coffee shop is. I just always loved being a connector of people um, and creating spaces uh, and being hospitable um, and welcoming people into a place where they can be comfortable. I think that's what that was what it was exciting for me. I think if I didn't do coffee, I always wanted to do something like a bed and breakfast or um, something in a hospitality setting. Um, just because I enjoy um, serving people and and uh, thrilling them um, in my own way, but I that the point that you were talking about uh, finding your passion um, that could be detrimental if you're just stuck on it because some passions can become hobbies um, that because they don't pay for themselves very well because um, like if you ask somebody are you passionate about semiconductors. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. Maybe it's it's a job, you know, maybe, maybe it's a career. Maybe they're passionate about the elements that they can do for a company that produces semiconductors. You know, I was just talking right, right. Uh, this morning who works for a semiconductor company. And I 
part, partly thought, oh gosh, what a boring job. <laughs> I didn't say that to him. But at the same time, <laughs> he finds fulfillment in doing uh, an element of work there. So I think he would probably say he's passionate about the things that he gets to do there. Um, and while it's not as glamorous as something else, like a movie star or something, you know, um, he, he can still find fulfillment. So I think there are different levels. I think it depends on who you talk to and maybe it depends on your personality type because some personalities mm -hmm. cannot do something unless they are hundred percent passionate about it. Um, they, they would feel like they've sold their soul to a corporation if they had to work for, for some large corporation, you know, um, whereas other personalities would right. love to do that sort of work. Um, and they, they can find something that they enjoy and then become passionate about it. So. Right. And that's, that's what I was going to, the video that I was thinking of, and I just had to find this. I'm going to, I'll share it with you afterwards, but I'll post it in the show notes for anyone else that's interested. It's Mike Rowe, the guy that did the dirty job show. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that, but he made a video and it's called don't follow your passion. And, um, cause I, I'm always, I have always been a fan of, yeah, you should follow your passion and, you know, the, but his argument, which I think is very good wisdom, is basically get a job or try lots of jobs. And in the process of doing that, you will find things that kind of intrigue you that you may not have said, I am passionate about XYZ. But then over time, as you care about what you're doing, um, you will become passionate or the expert in that particular thing. Or you won't, and you will realize like, oh my gosh, this job's eating my soul, in which case you should obviously leave and go to a different job. But it was just kind of, at least from my memory of it, and I could watch this again and realize that I've totally like taken it and run with it in my own way. But I do feel like the, and you kind of, what I'm, the only deeper question I have on what you just said, you, you said you've always been passionate about what a coffee shop is, like the community aspect of that. And when you first opened the coffee shop, was that a primary driver or is that something that you kind of unpacked and realized in, and um, kind of even turned your coffee shops into more of a community thing because you realized how passionate you were about that? You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. I, I think in the moment, I thought I was achieving exactly what I wanted. Um, and we were motivated by just creating a community space because it definitely wasn't motivated by money, <laughs> money, <laughs> money, but we just had, didn't see much of it at that, at that time. Um, and, and I mean, money, money is a tool, right? It, 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 for us, we feel like it can't be our ultimate driver because it comes and goes so quickly. Mm. Um, so I think though now looking at the size we are now and looking back, we kind of pat ourselves on the head, like our, our 2007 selves and say, um, gosh, good job. You really were, were working at it with your, your heart and you, your heart was in the right place. Um, and now knowing what we know, we just have such a broader perspective on how to do it in such a better way. Mm. Um, I, I am grateful for the experiences back then but I think over the course of nearly 12 years, we've learned so much on where to focus our energies and our finances and, and how to make better decisions to be more effective in what our ultimate goal is, is in, in taking care of people.
Right, right. Yeah, I do definitely agree that um, that's some other advice that I've heard a lot of people say. If you're if you're chasing money, that's the fastest way to not get it. Um, exactly. And I think yeah. the like what you what you're talking about. Uh, you obviously have to be a businessman or woman and, and understand that there is a, you know, an equation that has to work out for you to survive. But at the same time, if you're investing in the right areas of your business and trying to create the community space, you just have to trust that, you know, if you're in the right business, it will work out and the, you know, the money will come to help sustain it and then also give you a comfortable life as well. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with planning with finances and, and to even have budget meetings with our, our um, leaders of our company or, or um, even having sales goals and things like that. And I, I just have to remind our staff while we do talk about money, that doesn't have to be the central theme uh, or the main motivator. It need, we need it because we wouldn't have money to pay our employees. You know, we wouldn't have money to keep our doors open. Um, so it is a tool, but it's a tool just like having furniture. Like we can't, we can't be hospitable without furniture or we can't be, we can't make espresso drinks without an espresso machine. So it's a tool um, in our tool belt, but it's only a tool if that makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. That's not our main driver, but yeah. Um, the, let's see what topics to go to now. Um Another piece of advice that I've heard, I feel like fairly frequently is that, and I want to say that possibly Warren Buffett said this, that the difference between like a successful person and a really successful person, um, and he might have said like unsuccessful and successful, but I think it was a successful person and a really successful person is how much they say no. And the real, really successful person says no more often. Um so as opposed to making you choose, are you really successful or successful or not successful or whatever, what I'm curious of is, do you feel like just in general, are you someone that has always been good at saying no or have you gotten better or do you agree that like kind of success in life is paralleled with your ability to turn down opportunities or things that may be outside of your you know, given or does your laid out vision or mission? Totally. I agree so much with that statement. Um, while I've never been good at it, <laughs> I think that's a challenge for me. I'm, I don't know how much you know about Enneagram personality types, um, but we've, we've done a lot of Enneagram uh, things within our business just to be able to help our employees know how their own brain works and how they can relate to each other and that sort of thing. But I'm a nine on the Enneagram, which is a peacemaker. So ultimately my worst mm. nightmare is having to say no to someone. <laughs> so I had to learn how to mm. do that in, in a way that doesn't just, do, um, that doesn't compromise who I am as a person. Um, and there are, there are ways of saying no in a healthy way. Um, and I think it, it um, is extremely healthy to say no and to even delegate. And those things have always been difficult for me, but I think I'm really pressing into those and learning a lot more on how to do that. I think the main driver to make those easier is knowing yourself more. Um, if I know exactly who I am, then mm. I know how to say no to things who I'm not um, or how to delegate things um, in areas that I'm not as strong 
um, giving, giving opportunity to people who are strong in those areas. Um, but yes, I think that saying no is extremely key. And we have, as a company, I don't think we've ever been amazingly perfect at saying no, but I do think that we kind of knew what our vision was from the beginning. And we decided these are the things that we're not going to compromise on, whatever they were. Um, but then other areas we said yes to literally everything, especially at the beginning, because we, we needed income. <laughs> so, Hey, will you serve your coffee at right, this certain right. event? Yes, of course. And then we go back and we're trying to figure out how in the world are we going to do this? Um, or if somebody comes in and says, will you carry this product? We go, of course we will, because we love you so much. And then we realize we have shelves and shelves of all these random products that we carry just for one person each. So over the course of time, we've learned what works for us and what doesn't. And in so doing, we learned how to say no um, to things that don't fall within our vision. Right, right. Um, we scope. Uh, um, and if it doesn't fit within that scope, we just have to say no. And we've learned to say it in a very polite way. <laughs> right. And the, the, I found the quote, it is the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. <laughs> that is quite brilliant because you think about it, you're more efficient when you just have one thing that you do and you do that one thing well, right? Mm -hmm. right. And it's hard in our industry because coffee shops do 25 things and you're supposed to be excellent at every single thing. Um, so we try, we try to narrow it down. We try to be um, as, as efficient as possible. Although I do jealously look at companies that just have one product and they do it super well. Um, but that's just not who we are. <laughs> so we have right, to, right. some, somewhere there's a balance. It's like the, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie, the founder, uh, about a Ray Kroc oh, not yet. and McDonald's. Anyways, that's the, I mean, you obviously, you've definitely heard that in the beginning of McDonald's, it was like burgers, French fries and shakes and that's it. And I think it was like vanilla and chocolate shakes and there was no, I don't even think they had cheeseburgers. Um, but now they've got, you know, 25 different things for breakfast and another 25 for lunch. It's just like it scales out of control. But initially there definitely is a lot of value in trying your best to not diversify, but at the same time, you know, obviously sometimes, well, not sometimes diversification is needed to just provide the service or, you know, uh, hedge your bets, I guess. Right. Right. And there, there totally is a balance. Yeah. It's funny. What does you mentioned like, uh, you, when you and Evan are trying to just have uh friend time, um, and maybe this falls into that, but I'm curious, what is vacation like for you? What, what is the, uh, and I don't mean like, you know, the grand vacation that only happens once every five years, but like the little mini vacations in your life where you kind of are just, um, rejuvenating yourself. What do you, what does that actually look like for you? Yeah. Um, I think when we first started having employees and first started, um, figuring out work-life balance, um, that was a, it was a tricky time for us because we were still working, I mean, without employees, we were working 100-hour weeks. Then with employees, we were maybe working like 80-hour weeks, and that felt like vacation to us. 
Um, but over the course of years, we've been able to kind of delegate more and learn how to let go of things and allow our employees to kind of take responsibility and, and step into new roles and learn for themselves. Um, so for, I would say for the past five years or so, we've actually had weekends off like two days in a row um, and to spend with our family. And especially as we were having children, we recognize that the, their younger years, we, we're not going to be able to like rewind the clock and go back to those. So we have to just enjoy them and pour into them as they're young, because then we'll benefit from that as they get older. So we've been really pressing into making sure that we do 40 hour weeks um, and, and spend a lot of time with our families and always be home for dinner and spend weekends with them and go to soccer games and go to t-ball games and, and be involved with our children. Um, and my family, we do part-time homeschooling. Um, so I get to be there and help with, with different schooling things, teach my daughter. My daughter takes piano lessons, but at home, my wife doesn't know anything about piano. So she always gives me the book. She goes, I don't know how to help her. So that we are extremely involved dads um, because we're very passionate about it. And we recognize the business will come and go. Maybe, you know, our hope is for it to, to always be there. But our, our children are even that much more important because they're, they're, they're eternal beings too. Mm, you know, yeah. that's always been important for us. Um, and we do, we kind of try to do our two weeks of vacation each, each year. Um, this past year, we tried something new um, to where um, we, we look at Intel and where they do seven years and then they get six weeks off. We've always been very jealous of that. So uh, Evan and I felt like after 11 years, we can, we can take one month off and get our head out of the business and delegate everything that we, we normally did on a daily basis so that um, we could just get away and be refreshed and spend a ton of time with our family. Um, and then come back to the business with renewed energy and a, a new set of eyes. And so we did that last summer. And coming back in that fall was kind of a game changer for both of us because we realized um, we have to look at the bigger picture instead of my little daily to-do list. Because I like, I like my hands being busy. I like doing little checklists of things. But when I had to give all my checklists away, when I came back into the business, I had to refine who I am in the business. Oh. Kind of tumultuous. It was hard because I, I didn't have my, my structure, my normal. So I had to learn what a new normal was, but we're so grateful for it. I feel like that was a propeller for us to look at huge vision and direction. Um, because after both of us had taken our, our one month each, off. We didn't coincide because we didn't want the business to burn down. <laughs> right. But when, when we got back together, um, we just talked about the things that we learned and kind of the inspiration that we had um, from being outside of the business. And I think that was extremely healthy for us. I don't know that we're going to do that every year, um, but we were grateful to be able to do that. And our staff is phenomenal. They did such a great job while we were gone. Yeah. I think that that's an interesting, it's, uh, in the moments that when you actually take significant time away from the business, like completely hands off is when you realize that, uh, you're not as neat, you're not as necessary as you thought, which actually is a good thing or should be a good thing. Um, that there's some relief in knowing that, uh, you're closer to being obsolete. In fact, there was a guy in a business group I was a part of. He would always say that his primary goal was, and he would tell all of his employees this, 
was to make himself obsolete. He's like, I, you need to make it so that I am not valuable to this business. And that was like his dream was to create a business that didn't depend on him. Um, and so that was kind of a driving factor. I don't know if that was just a period of time that he was going through and trying to delegate more. Um, but I think that sometimes is a, can be a detriment to a business owner that uh, either feels like they're more important than they really are or just doesn't have trust in um, other people, you know, and, and maybe it's a combination or multiple things. Right. But. Well, and I do think, too, um, there are different priorities that we focus on in different seasons of our business, because in the early days, I do think it was extremely important for us to be involved in every single decision because we're crafting, we're making um the culture and we're, we're creating decisions that would kind of color what our business would be. So in a way it's like having a child too, right? So you have this baby that's fully dependent on you and you want them to be dependent on you because you want them to learn to think like you and to talk like you and to walk like you. And, but there gets mm -hmm. to a point where they become a teenager or in college. And if they were still fully relying on you, that would be extremely unhealthy. Oh, that's <laughs> a good analogy. I like that. Because you don't, if you get into the business, yeah, if you go too early in like, I want to make myself obsolete, then it's not going to be a business that you started or, or have the, the necessary aspects of you to make it unique. Um, but at some point, yeah, that I like that. That's a good, good way to think about it. Exactly. Have you guys, has it been difficult with, I mean, you're, there are two business owners that are really good friends that I'm assuming the your spouses are good friends and then your kids are, and there's probably some tension at times, uh, between the families, I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm, I guess in my, in my head, I feel like you guys are like next door neighbors and like, <laughs> which probably isn't true, but you, you spend so much time with each other that it's almost like a one enormous family with four parents and eight kids, as opposed to, you know, the other people that are able to separate those different parts of their life. That's actually very true. Um, and, and we do, we live less than half a mile away from each other. <laughs> <laughs> they just moved to our neighborhood last year, which is kind of fun, but, um, y y totally. And, and just like in any relationship, it totally has its ups and downs, you know, and there are moments where you feel like everything's rosy and everything's going great. And then other times where you get a text and you read it wrong and then you're frustrated with each other and we're very normal people. So we're not above um, a conflict by any means. And we do, we run our houses totally differently. Um, not one is better than the other, but um, we, we could really annoy each other if we pressed our priorities on each other, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think there's this, there's a fun balance to it. We're constantly learning from each other. Um, and, and there's so much that we can speak life into each other, um, in, in our families together, our wives are good friends. They are in book clubs together. They do, um, they even do conferences together. Uh, uh, so it's just, it's a neat, a neat experience being in community, um, with, with our best friends and having a business at the same time. It's just, right. it's an unusual thing. And I don't think I ever understood what it would be like. Um, and I think I'm just even more grateful than I ever thought I would be. Right. That's awesome. Um, 
there's a guy, his name's Matt Higgins, and he's a venture capitalist um, in New York. And I was I watched him on a podcast with Lewis Howes. He has a podcast called School of Greatness. But I um, was watching his interview with Matt Higgins, and he one of the things that he said that was like really shook me and was like, oh, like it was a, a wake up call. Matt Higgins is crazy successful. He's been like the VP of the New York Jets and he was the press secretary to now I'm forgetting the mayor of New York uh during 9/11 Giuliani. Giuliani, yeah. Um and so he's and now he's a venture capitalist and he works for the the owner of the Miami Dolphins. It's just like crazy crazy levels of success. And um, he said that in this interview that he struggles with still not feeling successful. And at first you hear someone like that say that, and it's like, what in the world is wrong with you? Like you have everything that you could ever, like people would dream of doing what you're doing. But then he, he also said that he's, and he wasn't saying this in like, a, he was just a very humbly saying like, it's just, you realize that you you want more, you want to do more and everything. And I think that can be motivated by bad things if it's purely like monetarily driven. But one of the things I was reflecting on as he was saying that, and after the fact, was that we we are never going to feel, at least in my my opinion or belief that the way that I think about the world and my faith, I'm never going to feel like I'm done. Like I have reached the success and I am no longer going to pursue growth or influence or anything until you're, you're on your deathbed and you're dying. If that makes sense. So you're, so that the desire or the feeling of I'm not successful or like I'm not successful yet is only because you still have a lot of life to live. And there's probably a lot more that you could do to make a difference in the world. So it could be a good thing too, if that, if you're following me there, obviously if someone is, motivated by, you know, I want to have $10 billion instead of a hundred million dollars. It's like, but why? Like, that's not like, what are you going to do with that? Definitely. I think it's the perspective of always learning and always realizing that there's something out there that you don't know, um, that will take your business in a direction that you don't even see a future for, you know, like your, your business is kind of its own thing, at least my perspective it's its own thing and we just try to foster it to grow. And then we're constantly surprised at how, how far reaching it is and, and the personality that it has on its own having somewhat to do with us, but then some things that have nothing to do with us. It's just, we get to see this business grow. And so I don't think that there is a place where, um, where we go, Oh my goodness. If, if we hit 10 stores, then we'll be successful. Because I think in the midst of that, there are still systems that we need to put into place and, and um, people that we need to train and, and vision that we need to keep that culture going. So I think it's, it has to be an internal motivation. It has to be something where we can be okay with ourselves and we can say success is being who I am fully, comfortably, 100% within whatever I'm doing at any given moment. Um, and I, I don't think we're 100% there. I think that we're probably 98% there. Right. Because we have fulfillment and we have such joy and such peace, even amidst all the trials and tribulations that a business brings. And we're not rolling in the dough, but we're also not 
not having to beg either. So I think just being in that sweet spot of having to rely on kind of the, the, the larger power, you know, mm-hmm. yep. it has so much more out of our control. Um, and so the moment we think that we have everything under control or that we have it all together is the moment everything will fall apart. Right. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> we recognize our own, our own failures and our own weaknesses. Um, but I don't think that while they don't define us, I think that they can actually become a strength when they're embraced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the being at peace today now in the moment, um, while striving is like the, the ultimate thing that you you're trying to reach for, or anyone should be trying to, if you can actually be content, grateful and happy with who you are today, but at the same time, want to improve and be better and impact more and help and all that stuff at the same time. That's the, uh, or at least that's what in, you know, as I'm evolving my, the way that I would describe success, that's what I'm striving for to do. And I think I'm close. And that's the other thing that's interesting is that you can kind of be successful at a pretty young age if that's your definition, but understanding that there's still a lot more work to do and there's a lot more growth that's going to happen, but that doesn't change my contentment and gratitude and just joy for like what I have today. Exactly. And it's all in perspective, isn't it? Cause we, we have a very public business in Hillsborough. So I run into people in the grocery store all the time, or a lot of time I'll introduce myself and they'll find out that I own insomnia and they'll, they'll like get these weird starry eyes toward me. And I'm like, really, I'm just a normal person. It's not a big deal. My wife always jokes that I'm a Hillsborough celebrity, but uh, (laughs) I don't see myself that way at all. But the funny thing is a lot of times um, when we start conversing about insomnia and they're like, Oh my goodness, you guys are so successful. And they, they kind of talk about us like we're these superstars of business. And I'm like, well, in all reality, if, if I was to show you the books and show you how much I take home, you, I think you'd be surprised because everyone assumes like I'm taking home tons and tons of money because we have these four busy shops and, and we have our own roastery that looks gorgeous. You know, it's, it's just, it is funny. There's a lot of, of that money just goes right back into the business and reinvesting, especially in our employees, but also in our facilities and everything. So just because you have something all shiny and gorgeous doesn't mean that you have a ton of money too, you know? Right, and right. And so it, it all is, where do you measure that success? Do you measure how much money you take home as your success or measure mm-hmm. how much fun you're having in your business? Or do you know, it, it's all it's all in perspective. And so it is it is a kind of a fun position to be in. I'm grateful. Um, and it's, it is funny when people get kind of starstruck with me um, when they find out who I am. But at the same time, I'm quick to tell them, Hey, I'm, I'm just like you, you know, like, let's just, let's have coffee together. Let's enjoy, let's, let's hang out. I'm very approachable. Um, and, and there shouldn't never be a situation where I'm, um, off putting because you think I have some sort of status, you know? Right. Right. That's awesome. So the final question before your book and movie recommendations, (laughs) um, the what's next, like, what is, I'm assuming that this is kind of what you maybe had talked about with stepping back and kind of going on this, the month long sabbatical, if you want to call it that, but what is the, um, so I guess the way I would put it is like, so you've, you've established some coffee shops, they're profitable. That's good. 
but what is the um, what is the goals or the vision that you have personally? Um, and, and I'm sure it's tied to the business, but what is the the other part of success that you are striving for? Um, you know that you may never reach, but it's kind of the the direction that you're heading with the position that you're in now. Yeah, um, that's actually stuff that we've been talking a lot about um, over the the course of the fall. Um, after we came back from our sabbaticals. Um, and I think growth is definitely in, in the future for us because we've seen that we've created a, a model um, with Insomnia Coffee of bringing community to underserviced areas. So Hillsborough, Oregon is a growing community, um, but we didn't know that in 2007 <laughs> because we were like heading into a recession and again, we didn't know better. We Here we were, we just opened when we were able to. Um, when businesses were closing left and right in 2008, we were still we were still so small that we had no place to go but up. Um, and so we rode through the Great Recession um, and then built even faster when, when people were recouping from that and opened three more locations over the course of uh, 10 years at that time. And then started roasting our own coffee back in 2012, uh, 2013. I couldn't remember. And um, so now, now we have a roastery that we're trying to get really established and, and the brand recognition um, nationally. And that's been going really well. We, we just got to be up at a cafe in Seattle for the month of December um, called the La Marzocco Cafe. And that has national recognition and even international because they're an Italian company, but they make espresso machines that are in most coffee shops. Um, La Marzocco is kind of the workhorse um, machine um, that is just recognized everywhere. Um, so that was a huge honor. That was something that we applied for and we were chosen um, out of thousands of roasters. So it's, it's a neat experience. We're getting to see kind of all the fruition of things that we've put into place for a number of years and worked, worked really, really hard towards. So we'll, we're seeing the growth of our roastery, Dapper and Wise Roasters, but also we want to bring our model of an insomnia coffee shop into more areas, even outside of Hillsborough. We're in Cannon Beach, which it's a culture driver there too. It's a meeting place and a central um, community hub there. But um, we're branching out. Um, we're looking in Beaverton right now. Um, in fact, we haven't signed a lease yet because they're drafting it at the moment. But another Insomnia Coffee is is coming probably opening this summer. Oh, nice. After all the build out and everything. So that would be the fifth Insomnia Coffee shop. And then in 2020, we'll probably open at least one more because um, a lot of um, developers um, are are even doing their plans right now for two years out. And so we've had a lot of, of them come and open um, doors of opportunity for us in, in different shopping centers and that sort of thing. Um, again, in areas that don't have a good culture driver and don't have a good meeting place um, and a community hub. And so that's what we feel like we can bring to an area. Um, we know ourselves so much more now than when we first opened, but we realize our our areas are in the suburbs um, where people don't have all of the um, excellent options that people have in, in say, a, an urban area 
where they can walk to 12 different coffee shops, you know, on one street. We just get to do something excellent in an area that there are wonderful people um, who just don't have very many options. So mm. I think growth is is on the horizon for Insomnia. Um, probably maybe three more locations within the next couple of years. Um, and I don't know if once we hit that, we're going to say, okay, we've made it. <laughs> right, but right. Again, talking back to like perspective, um, that has to be an internal thing. We just... We kind of just move when the opportunity, the doors of opportunity are open to us. And when it makes sense, it makes sense. When we find a shopping center um, and landlords who really want us in there and we want to be in there and it's just a, a good match, um, looking for a location is kind of like a relationship as well. Because sometimes you you see red flags, but then you, you go, oh, that won't be a big deal, <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> someone. Um, and right, so, right. do you like them more than they like you or vice versa? So it's just finding the right fits. And um, the the place that we're working on, Elise, right now is just a fantastic fit. And we're super excited about it. And they're excited about having our brand in there um, to to drive business and and to create community as well. So, yeah, I, that's awesome. Are you guys eyeing that South Hillsboro part of town? That's getting developed. Oh yeah, gosh, that's and that's in everyone's conversations right now. Um, we we don't have a specific plan even um, drawn up uh, to show us what what shopping centers look what it would be like. Yeah. The developers have already been knocking on our door, and that's that's fun. Um, I don't know how much we can oversaturate Hillsboro because we have three locations already in Hillsboro, but um, right. Hillsboro is something that's super exciting. Um, and just seeing the growth of Hillsboro, we have just been so, so grateful to be in Hillsboro. And back in the day, back in 2005, when we started looking for locations, Hillsboro was just one location out of many that we were looking at. I mean, we could have ended up in Tigard or, or Gresham or, or Vancouver because we looked everywhere. But the doors opened for us to be in Hillsboro, and we haven't looked back. We've just been so grateful. And the cool thing, too, is now that we've been in business for about 12 years and, and we have um, enough staff that can do everything so fantastically, we're able to step out of the office even more and, and give kind of some of our time back to the community. So we've been learning a lot about being on boards and committees and helping, uh, helping mm -hmm. in the community. So I've Right now, I sit on the board of the Hillsborough Farmers Markets, which is so, oh, nice. I really, really enjoy that um, because we we benefited from the farmers markets back in the day. We used to have a coffee cart um, in the farmers market when we first started. Um, so this is kind of full circle where I get to give back and help with the vendor relations and, and help them make decisions um, just from with business perspective. And also the Hillsborough Chamber just added me to their board of directors um, as of January, as oh, of this nice. month. Yeah, I was going to, I just interviewed Deanna. Um, yeah, I just saw her this morning. We were chatting about you. I yeah, love that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know you. Well, you probably are going to find out about it. Were you aware of that document? Like the Hillsborough, I can't remember what they called it initially, but I think it was Hillsborough 2010. Or, or 2015 or something. And then they reached all their goals and now it's called Hillsboro 2030, but it's the vision for the next 15 to 20 years that they're building out. Were you aware of that when you, like years ago when you guys were in business or started? Not years ago, yeah. I, I, it is the, the 2020 plan that they have checked all the boxes off a year early. Uh, so they're all working out 
35 plan now. So, which is exciting. I'm so grateful for a, a community that there is such a strong vision and it's extremely clear instead of just saying, oh, we're all going to be better now. They have, they've really dialed it in and they have certain objectives that they want to see accomplished and they're working hard at it. It's not just talk. It's a lot of action. Yeah. Which is amazing. Kind of see from the inside out now. That's awesome. All right. So book recommendations, do you read, um, frequently or uh, favorite genre type? I wish I could read more. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to do with little ones at home, but yes. Um, I was thinking about that and, Uh, I think in terms of business book reading, um, there were two books that had a huge impact on on the way we run business. And my business partner and I talk about them a lot. And one is um, The E-Myth by um, uh, Michael Gerber, I think. Are you familiar with that book I'm familiar with E-Myth and I also cannot, I can look it up. But yeah, it's very, I think there's only, it's the same one that everyone talks about. I'm looking right now. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Gerber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That really changed our view of how to run business and how to learn how to delegate and focus on um, bigger picture stuff and actually um, business as its own thing, as opposed to the craft. And instead of being the crafter, um, the artisan themselves, because we know how to make coffee and we can do it really, really well. Um, but if that's all we did, if I, I spent all my time in the bar, um, then it, that would be unhealthy because no one would be running the business as a whole. So mm-hmm. we had to learn that um, through, through that book, you just really opened our eyes to it. So I would definitely recommend that if that hasn't been read already. Um, and then another one that we're going through right now is called scaling up by Vern Harnish. And that's kind of kicking my butt because it's putting in place a lot of good systems and using forms and, and charts and making everything extremely clear so that there's no vague, um, there's no, uh, uh, an employee can't say, I, well, I don't even really know what to do. Everything is laid out perfectly, um, so that you can, grow and you can um, create these processes that contain people and you can add more people to it. Mm. So those on the business side of things are, are really so good and challenging for me um, to push me to become a better business person. Nice. Um, and I love, I love reading World War II books. That's my, my time frame. Um, mostly historical uh, or, um, uh, nonfiction. I really like the real stories, but some fiction is kind of fun too. Um, I'm reading one right now called We Were the Lucky Ones, and it's so intense. It, it's World War II and and just kind of the trials of that that time frame. But also, I just finished a book uh, a couple weeks ago called The Great Alone. Um, I think it's I'm trying to remember who the author was. Uh, a gal, I think um, Han- Chris- Kristen Hanna. I think. Um, and I can't recommend that book because I bawled and bawled and bawled while I was reading. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> not a crier, but man, it was just hitting. I mean, I'm sitting in the living room reading and my wife turns to me and she goes, are you crying? And I was so embarrassed, but yeah, it was like such good writing. Um, that mm. it just, it, it hit me so hard. It was just so, so emotional, but, um, but I mean, that's, and what is that? What type of book is that? Uh, it's about life in Alaska. 
um, in the 70s. And that's a nonfiction one? Uh, it's fiction. Or, that one's fiction. It is fiction. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's about a family trying to get away and live off the grid and, and just the emotional things. And everything in Alaska will kill you. Like if you take a wrong turn when you're trying to go to the store, you'll, you will you could die. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's, uh, but um, very good writing. That's awesome. There's, yeah. there's a book that a previous guest, um, I want to say it was um, David Nichols, um, who's a business owner in Portland. He also is a big fan of historical um, uh, nonfiction books. And have you heard of Pacific Crucible? No. It's a, it's by Ian Toll. Um, I have not read it, but I'm just, you said you were big. Um, I have it on my list to read, but it's about the war, um, in the Pacific ocean from 1941 to 1942. Um, and apparently he was saying that in a weird way, he likes reading books like that because, or he, instead of reading business books, he likes reading books about like the you know great wars and some of the just the stories of how these leaders made decisions in very like volatile time when they had very little information which he kind of related to more of like a realistic business um decision so anyways that's a another one that um pacific crucible uh by ian toll and again i haven't read it so but david nichols swore by it so i'm gonna I'll give you that recommendation. I wrote it down. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. Yeah. And then movie recommendations. Do you, what is your, in this one, you just can do one unless you've got a couple, but what is your favorite movie? Oh man. Okay. So when it comes to favorites, it's so funny. And this, this goes back to the Enneagram and my personality n- uh, number nine, which is the peacemaker. Um, my favorite as a nine is whatever your favorite is. <laughs> I have a hard time pinpointing exactly what what my favorite is. Um, same with food. Same with restaurants. Um, it's I always tell my wife the same thing. It's like whatever your favorite is, that's my favorite. But um, so I'm trying to think of even a favorite movie. You know, my best friend Evan, um, business partner, is totally into Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, um, and he can quote any of those movies at, at the drop of a hat always been impressed Mm. that he really knows what he likes so much that he can be so committed to it. But, um, golly, that's, it's hard for me. I think, I don't know. I just watched La La Land, which was, um, I enjoyed that just because I have background in musical theater. So I can really appreciate the creativity. Um, I, I love, I love classic movies where they, they, um, they do just ballroom dancing, you know, like, like white when they're singing mm-hmm. sisters, sisters, you know, that sort of thing. I, I, the bygone era of, of um, dinner theaters and that sort of thing. Funny enough, I like historically have hated musicals. Yeah. It's not a fan. And I really resisted going to this movie with Natalie. Um, however long ago that was two years ago yeah. or a year and a half ago. And I ended up going and I absolutely loved it. It was like the, and I cried in that movie too. That was a, that was a brutal, um, I think after having Ellie, I've just like gotten emotionally, uh, well, I want to say emotionally weaker, but realistically it's probably more emotionally in tune. You're in tune now. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) 
But yeah, it's interesting how kids will do that to you. But that La La Land is a great movie. And I didn't even get to see it in the theater. We just saw it on our little tiny television at home. But I was impressed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tyler. Do you have a uh, preferred method of contact, uh, social media channel, website, or how, how can people reach out to you um, if they want to ask you a question? Or Sure. Um, probably my Instagram. Um, that's kind of the easiest way to see what's happening in my life and, um, and communicate with me. But it's at Mr. M-R underscore Giel, G-E-E-L. So Mr. Underscore Giel. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I post all the crazy things that we do around around here and pictures of my my cute kids. And um, something also a newfound hobby of mine is is painting acrylics. Um, so I've been I've been posting a lot of uh, things like that. In fact, February first is my my very first art show. Um, I'm putting up my canvases in one of our coffee shops. Um, our biggest coffee shop. So it has lots of, lots of uh, wall space, but I'm excited and nervous to, to kind of share my, my artwork. That's kind of all been up in my head. Are you going to like secretly put like a John Smith as the, uh, as the artist until you find out if everyone likes it and then be like, it was mine. It was mine the whole time. (laughs) A pseudonym. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Anyways. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for your time. This was great. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I, I, it's unfortunate I'm not in Hillsborough anymore, but still, uh, it's where I was born and raised and, um, it's just fun to get to pick the brains of some of the people that I admire and think are doing good things over there. So thank you. I love it. Well, and I love that you're doing this too. It, it's fun for me to participate in some other project that you're doing. Cause I got to rub shoulders with you a while back when you were in the area. And so I think of you pretty often. Awesome. Thank you for listening, everyone. You know the drill. Find me on Instagram. Check out my website, chriskiefer.net. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.